Welcome to the River City Church Podcast and a message by our lead pastor, Jason Powers. Our prayer is that this message would inspire and encourage you, build your faith, and point you to the life-changing love of Jesus. May you enjoy the goodness of God as you follow Him today. Hi, everybody. I'm glad that you are here on this fall morning, right? I've been saving this brown shirt like for months, just waiting for it to be cool enough for me to wear my fall colors. We begin, I want to begin uh, today with our confession, and we begin every, every week with this, every time that we gather, every time we get together, and it is just, and it's just a reminder, and the reason is, you know, we say our confession is badly broken and deeply loved, and here's the idea. We may encounter something in the context of our discussion, in the context of our conversation, that may sting a little bit. It may be hard to hear, right? And, and it could be all kinds of things. Like we may read something that talks about a sin, right? And it says sin is this. And you just go, oh my gosh, well, I do that. And it can be awkward. And you just go, well, I, I don't like that, right? I don't like to be confronted with things that, I, that, that are shortcomings and shortfalls, right? I may have my pride addressed or, you know, kind of aggressively confronted in the scriptures, right? And so um, when we begin with this whole idea that we're badly broken, the important thing about that is, is it's not a shock to us. It's not, we're not surprised when we come and just go, oh, that talks about sin and that's my sin. Like I do that. I struggle with that. I wrestle with that, right? But what it does is it reminds us that what Jesus does with sinful people is love them and change them and redeem them and restore them and all this. So our confession really is a reminder to us of our process, of what the Lord's process is, right? Finding us in our brokenness and loving us to our wholeness. Our brokenness isn't kind of just like woundedness, like my feelings are hurt. Our brokenness is this deep, deep, fundamental, essential proclivity to sinfulness. When we walk in this world, we have a tendency to want to self-protect, which causes us to be at odds with others often. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus came and didn't self-protect. Jesus came and gave himself for us. So this badly broken, deeply loved, isn't this neat little liturgical, is it just this neat little liturgical element that we do at the beginning? It's the beginning of everything. It is the foundation of what we are hoping and believing that God is and does. And so um, if you would, I just want to give just a second to pause, right? Just a second of silence for you to kind of acknowledge this. And maybe there's a moment this week where you go, man, I did that thing and it wounded someone. It hurt someone. That is our sinfulness. Confess that. Own it. Badly broken then is a confession. And deeply loved is this reminder that he meets you right where you are, not with anger and retribution and violence, but with love and with grace. It is the gospel. It is good news. So will you just take a second and just kind of in your heart quiet? And we just got done singing about the Holy Spirit. He's, he's here. And just ask him to reveal Ask him to speak. And having kind of tuned our hearts and our ears and our minds to the presence of the Holy Spirit, our conviction, our confession as a church is, we're badly broken. Yes, you are. Grace 
and peace to you. Maybe you need to keep your eyes closed because I want to do a little bit of a memory or, or like an imagination thing here, right? Like, like if you can get your imagination and have your eyes open, that's great. But if you need to close your eyes, because I want you to get a picture of, excuse me, that was aggressive. <coughs> I want you to get a picture in your heart. I want you to get a picture in your mind, and I want you to see it as, with as much detail as you can, okay? So just get your imagining shoes on, will you? I want you to imagine this. <clears throat> Psalm 1, verse 3. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams. Now just pause, and I just want you to imagine that. A tree planted by streams of water. What does it look like? And I want you to get imagine, what does the bark of that tree look like? Where are the roots? Are there a lot of any other roots above ground? Do you, can you see them? Shall be a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in season. What is the fruit of this tree? Is it a giant oak tree that drops acorns? Is it is it an orange tree? Does it blossom? Does it have flowers on it? What color are the flowers? Can you smell it? Its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. I want you to imagine that tree at peak growing season. I want you to imagine what your yard looks like. Are there pecans just everywhere? Does it drop the flowers? Does it drop the limbs? You can, you can open up your eyes. This is a picture that we looked in the first week, right? And we looked at this is, this is the person who, uh, who meditates on the Lord's law day and night. It says he doesn't, he doesn't surround himself with people who draw him away, who give him kind of counterintuitive advice. But it says the person who roots themselves in God's presence, they'll be like this tree planted by streams of water. And the thing that it says is it will always bear its fruit in season, whether it's a season of grief, a season of sorrow, or it's a season of joy and a season of life, there will always be appropriate fruit. Because what happens is healthy trees always produce fruit. If your tree, if you have a tree in the backyard and it is healthy and it is growing, it will produce. It'll produce leaves, it'll produce new limbs, it'll produce acorns, it will do all of those things. So much so that when we talk about ourselves in the same way, right, we use this analogy, the measure of a healthy soul is good fruit. And we've been talking this whole kind of season, this whole fall season, about our souls and how our souls were created for freedom. In Galatians 5, it says it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And we see this in the trees, right? We see this in the tree planted beside streams of water. There's nothing keeping it from producing its fruit. Whether it's the sunflower with the seeds that fall, whether it is the orange tree with great huge gobs of beautiful citrus, whatever it is, whatever trees, if it's healthy, it will produce fruit. And you also, when your soul is healthy, when it is right, when it is integrated, when all the parts of you are operating and aligned and pulling together, your life will bear fruit. So what that means is that we can step back at our lives and we can look at all the things in our lives. We can look at our interactions. We can look at the way that we deal with our boss. We can look at the way that we deal with people who love us, who are good to us. We can look at the way that we deal with our enemies. What do we do when those people who are different from us respond to us? What do you do when someone says something on Facebook that you don't like? And what we can do is we can begin to notice our feelings, our emotions, right? Do you immediately get anxious? Do you get angry? What, do you, what happens when somebody cuts you off in traffic? 
Do you assume that they're having a bad day and they're in a hurry to get to the hospital where someone is sick? Or do you think that they're just a menace to society, right? It's probably the latter. Sometimes it's the former, but usually. The idea here is, and this is a great metric for your life, right? Like you can, if you don't like the fruit that your life is bearing, there's good news. You can change some things. But, and there's a big but, if nothing changes, nothing will change. It's simply not enough to go to bed every night with best intentions and go, tomorrow I'm not going to do that. And then we wake up and we do the exact same things over and over. I have a, I become a plant guy. I'm a definitely a nerd about it. I, uh, it is the current um, focus of all my obsessive compulsive tendencies are on plant. And I have this one plant. It was given to us. It's called a prayer plant. And it's neat. Like at night, the leaves go up and it's amazing, right? Well, we had, it was given to us probably 18 months ago, a year and a half ago. And about a year ago, it started to get real sick. I mean, all the leaves dropped off. They turned brown and crispy. And for a long time, I was like, what's wrong with you? And I tried to like yell at my plants. I didn't change anything, right? What I did was I moved it from my kitchen table onto a ledge in our bathroom. Now, a couple things happen on the ledge in our bathroom. You're like, I don't even care about all this. But listen, it's important. You listen and listen. Here's the thing. In my bathroom, I have this great frosted window that faces south. So it gets this beautiful, soft kind of light. In my restroom, in my bathroom, right, we have a shower and a bathtub in there, which means that it gets all kinds of humidity, right, which it needs. It's this tropical plant. It grows on the forest floor, under on the trees. So what happens was we put the, right, we put the plant in the right place where it could get the right nutrients, it could have the right environment, all that. And guess what? It's growing. You can follow me on TikTok, and you can actually see the evolution of my prayer plan. <laughs> oh, I'm absolutely trolling for clout right now. That's... But the great thing is my prayer plan has started to bear fruit. You put it in the right environment, you get it the right things, all the things that it needs, and it starts to grow. So what about you? Are we going to stick you in the bathroom and flowers start coming out of your ears? Here's what it looks like when your soul is healthy, when your soul is right, when it is integrated, when all the parts of you, your thoughts and your feelings and your responses and your behavior, right? When your very physical body gets in alignment to do what is right, right? When your social, when your relationships are are healthy, not perfect, right? Because every relationship you've ever had with a person is a relationship between at least two sinfully, badly broken people, right? Here's what your life looks like when it is healthy and whole and bearing good fruit. We read in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now listen, I just want you, in the same way that you imagined that tree, I want you to imagine your life saturated with these fruits, bearing these things with love, where it just flows out of you. And do you know why it flows out of you? Because you're not competing with yourself. You're able to love people because you see that people aren't a threat to you, because you know you're secure. Joy. Do you know why we can have joy when we are integrated and whole? Because we are aware that whatever it is that's going on around us, it's not ultimate and it's not final. We know that ultimately the Father's love is final and he is redeeming all things and making all things new. So the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. How about that? Let me just pause real quick. I want you to imagine your life absolutely saturated with peace. 
And I don't mean that there's never any conflict outside of you. I just mean that your response, your natural overflow is to have peace, patience. What if you are unable to be provoked? Because you are just that at peace. You are just that patient. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, what the enemy of our souls would love to do is take this passage of Scripture and plant it in your head and tell you that you're horrible, terrible, no good, and very bad because your life doesn't look like this at all. And, you're gonna, and there's one opportunity. You could walk out of here and just go, I'm going to be better at loving. And I'm going be, to be so loving. I'm going to be the one. I'm going to win love, right? And you're, just, you're so jacked up to be the most loving person that you yell at somebody on the way out of the parking lot, right? Right? I'm going to be at peace. And you get a panic attack about being at peace, right? Because these things aren't a new law. This isn't a new set of rules that you have to go out and do. What this is, is this is the produce of what happens when your life is in order. And so what we should see is you should see growth in these things over time. So here's what we can do. If it takes you five seconds longer to snap on your kids, listen, you very well may be growing in your faith. And what I would say is that's room for celebration. If you are growing in peace, if you are growing in love, that is good. Now, let me also say this very carefully and with all the humility I can muster. If you look over at your life and you are not increasing in love and joy and peace, if you are not increasingly growing hungry for God's word, you are likely not, probably not, following Jesus by his spirit the way that he said, because what we're told is the Holy Spirit will produce these in us. So you may be around of a lot of Christian things. You may be reading some Christian books. But if you are not connected to the Holy Spirit, if he is not living in you, you will not and cannot produce these things. That's a challenge to me. But of course, it forces me to take the big view of my life, of what it is, right? So I just want you to imagine peace right now. No temptation in your life because you know what is good and you want what is good. You are secure. You are able to forgive quickly so there is no conflict in your life. People may oppose you, but you don't have to fight back, and you're perfectly comfortable letting people think about you whatever they will. Someone says something about you on Instagram, or they respond to your post in a snarky way, and you just don't even care. You don't have to get into a war with them. You're not scared of your future because you know that God is good and God is in control. You are secure in yourself. You, re- you sin, certainly. You wake up and you have a thought or an action or belief and you sin. But because you're confident in the Lord's goodness, that sin doesn't cause you to get angry. It doesn't cause you to cover it up. It doesn't cause you to deny it or get defensive about it. It causes you to simply go, of course, Lord. Of course I sinned. And left to my own devices, I will never do anything but sin. So, Lord, I need your help in this moment. I need to not respond that way. I need to believe that your way is better. That is what a fruitful life looks like. Wouldn't that be neat? Wouldn't that be great? So the question that we've been wrestling with now is that's the freedom that Jesus comes to give us. That's the picture of what life with Christ is supposed to be like. That's why we follow Jesus. We don't follow Jesus just to be on the right side in the end. We follow Jesus because of what he makes of our life in this world. 
We follow Jesus because he takes what is broken and sinful in us and he exchanges it for what is fully alive and fully beautiful. But he doesn't do it all at once. Do you know why? Because he wants to hang out with you. Because he wants you every day to come back and go, Lord, what good thing do you have for me today? And you know what he has every day for you? He goes, today we have peace. And today we have joy. And today we have patience. And Jason, I'm going to make you so kind that people are going to acknowledge it and they're going to notice it. Just follow me. Just stick with me. Just stay with me. This is the life that Jesus has for those who follow him. This is the life that he calls us into. It is a fruitful life. And a fruitful life finds peace and love and joy. Here's the thing that defy explanation. A fruitful life is the kind of thing where everybody will look at your life and just go, what the heck is wrong with you? They'll look at your life and they'll go, you need to follow the news more. You clearly don't understand how terrible and scary the world is. And your response is, no, no, I see. I see it. I know what's going on. I see every bit of it. Your response is just, but I know there's something greater than war in the Middle East. God, be present in the Middle East. You say, I know there's something greater than that. There's something bigger than that. That's what a fruitful life is. And that's what Jesus has for you, right? So how do we have a healthy soul? How do we find peace and joy in the middle of chaos? Well, that is a habit. It's the habit of prayer. And what the habit of prayer does is it presses the peace of the kingdom into a chaotic world. Do you remember what Jesus said at the beginning when Jesus came in Matthew chapter 4? He didn't say, go to Bible study. He didn't say, your small group, is they, they need you. He didn't say, go serve in children's ministry, right? That was the second thing that he said because it was crucial even then, right? <laughs> when Jesus came, what he said is, hey, you need to think differently about the world because are you listening? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you know what a kingdom is? It's a government with a ruler and an authority and a culture. And the culture of the kingdom is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. So what Jesus said is, hey, there's a whole change in the way that we're walking. There's a whole change in the trajectory. There's a whole change in the way we treat each other. There's a whole change in the way we see each other. There's a whole change in the way we believe about each other, right? We don't just have to believe that the world breaks neatly down into two or three or four different categories. We believe that the kingdom of heaven is here where everybody that you see was lovingly created by our Father for a good purpose and some see it and get on board and some don't and we chase those down and we love them into the kingdom the best we can but the kingdom means that there is love and joy and peace for you today in this world in this place regardless of what your circumstances are and it doesn't mean that your cancer and your diagnosis is good it means that God is able to redeem even those things which are most heinous and scary to us. So you're like, nice, I would like some of that, but so far, nothing. Does anybody feel like that? You don't have to raise your hands. You ever just go, well, I've been coming to church for a long time, Jason. I do my quiet time every morning, Jason. I wake up, I do this, right? Here's what I would say. Paul says this same thing because what we're talking about is not just a mechanism, a mechanical response. We're talking about this habit, this deep-seated habit that is in all of us, right? Paul says this in uh, Philippians. Philippians chapter four, right? I'm just gonna go kind of slowly and break it down and the payoff is at the end, right? Okay, so Philippians chapter four, starting in verse four, we're told this. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, 
Notice the construct of that situation. What it says is, he says this like a command. Rejoice. This is a verb. It says, do it. Notice it is not surrounded by any feeling words. This is not positioned as something that we feel or we think. This is a command, a physical command. Rejoice. Do it. Rejoice in the Lord, it says. I will say it again. Do you know why he said I'll say it again? Because most people, me included, we want to dismiss that. And we go, listen, I am born and wired melancholy. I just, I just am. I have OCD. I have all the, my brain is always a million miles a minute, right? And so I just kind of have, I tend towards Eeyore, right? Thanks for noticing. You've seen this, right? I have a tendency to be like that, right? And so what Paul does here is he says, rejoice. Yeah, but Paul, I'm just kind of sad. I'll say it again. Your excuse to rejoice doesn't let you off the hook of the command of Scripture. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Now he says, let your graciousness be evident to all, be known to everyone. What I love is uh, this was written in the Greek, and that word that we have here is graciousness is translated um, sometimes gentleness. Some of your Bibles may say gentleness. My favorite is like in the ESV, it says let your reasonableness be known to all, right? So this is the idea of what reasonableness is, right? Like when I get in a panic attack, what I do, I'm freaking out about everything. Oh, the whole thing's going to unwind. Easy, easy, right? The whole world's caving in. No, bro, you just had a bad day. It's, like, it's, it's not all that, right? And so the idea is like rejoice, plant yourself in joy, Root there. Let your reasonableness, your gentleness, your graciousness be known to all. Here's why, right? And this is the kingdom. This is a statement of the kingdom. You should memorize this. The Lord is near. Say it with me. The Lord is near. Say it again. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. When you go to lunch and that waitress is awful and terrible and spills your soup in your lap, the Lord is near. When your kid brings home that grade that you just, you know, you told him the Lord is near. They're less on that one, I I sense. (laughs) When your boss does what your boss does, the Lord is near. Listen, when your spouse falls off the wagon, the Lord is near. When you fall off the wagon, the Lord is near. What Paul is saying is, it's okay to just act like the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It means that you can rejoice when you're having the worst day that you can imagine. It means that no matter what your spouse does to you, you have the ability to joy. And this isn't Pollyanna. This isn't some pie-in-the-sky kind of thing. What this is is choosing to see a world that is invisible. This is choosing to see that a kingdom is heaven. This is choosing to believe that the Lord is at hand. So what do you do when your spouse absolutely bottoms out? What do we believe that lets us have joy in the middle of this? You know what we believe? Say it with me. The Lord is near. I want you to know that we cannot just let this be a concept or an idea that kind of flutters around in our brain. We have to force this into the very fiber and marrow and center of our being because that's what changes everything. That's what bears fruit is the Lord is near. So what we can do is we can act like this chaos that we're currently in isn't final. 
That it's not ultimate. That this thing that is scary and terrible and heinous and real. Listen, you may be truly sick. You may be facing the truly a loved one who there is no cure. There is no answer. There is no solution on this. But what I want to tell you is the Lord is near and you can find him and experience him in that. And it won't make it all better. It won't make it easier. Listen, I have sat with people grieving the loss of a loved one. And you know what? They grieve. But they grieve as those who have hope. And they grieve as those with an experience sometimes that the Lord is near. So we can act like the chaos that we're in isn't ultimate. Now he goes on to verse 6. And this is really, this is the big idea, right? Rejoice. I say it again. Then he says, don't. This is so good. Don't. Worry about anything. You're like, Lord, have you seen the value of a dollar lately? Lord, have you seen all the bombs that are going off in in Israel today? Lord, have you heard what's going on in China? Lord, do you know what my kid is up to? Lord, when you say don't be anxious about anything, anything, right? That's what somebody said, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. Frankly, Lord, frankly, Paul, I think you got your head in the sand, Lord. Paul, I think you're being a little bit, you're being a little bit ridiculous. So here's the question when we face something like this, and we begin to make defenses for our anxiety, which I do, right? We begin to make defenses for our, for our insecurity. We make defenses, right? We just go, oh, well, you just don't know what I have, right? So here's what I, what I would ask you. Do you believe that the scripture is trustworthy? And listen, I think sometimes we believe, like when we fight against, fight for the authority of scripture, right? like we want to make sure that, that we believe that all the historical stuff happened. That's neat. And I, I believe all that. But the value of the scripture for me isn't that the Hittites were real and we only discovered them recently. You know what the value of the scripture is for me? Jason, don't be anxious about, everything, about anything. That's the value for me. Now, the archaeological stuff helps support it, right? The stuff that the scripture, you know, the, the resurrection and all that. But the reason it does is because it changes what my life means. Don't be anxious about anything, but... So here's the counter, right? Instead of being anxious in everything, in everything, in your child, in your marriage, in your singleness, in your wealth, in your poverty, in your sickness in your health, in everything through prayer and petition. Prayer and petition, those two things kind of go together. Let me give you a real quick tip, right? One kind, there are two kinds of prayer. There's a kind what Paul talks about, pray without ceasing, right? Like that's as you're walking and you see a, uh, and you see an ambulance drive by and you pray that the people would have healing and salvation, right? When you see the news and you pray for what's on the news, when you pray for your kids, that is like the, in the course of your life prayer. But there's also where Jesus said, go into your prayer closet and seek the Father's face and he will reward you. There's also a set time where you get down on your face or your, your knees or in your chair or whatever, and you go, Lord, these are the things that I need. Now, here's the deal. The first kind, prayer without ceasing. The second, go into your prayer closet. Here's the thing. You will not effectively do the first if you do not intentionally do the second. If you don't have a place that you go to focus your mind on prayer, you will not remember to do it when the ambulance is driving by. In everything, by prayer and by petition, with thanksgiving. Do you know why thanksgiving is so important? Because you know what thanksgiving is? It's faith. 
I will not thank the Lord for something that I don't believe that he can or will do. So when I say, now listen, I may say, thank you, Lord, that my wife is cooking green beans tonight. And if she doesn't cook green beans, I'm like, Lord, why have you let me down? The Lord's like, the Lord's like no, I fed you. That's enough. I fed you. That's, that's, that's enough. And I'll sit down and I will eat all those green beans and I can go, Lord, thank you for your provision. When my boss is mad at me and threatening to fire me, you know what I can thank God for? Lord, I can thank you that I am not defined by my job. I can thank you that my identity is not in my performance here. I can thank you that all of these things are true. Prayer and petition with thanksgiving, it says, present your requests to God, right? So gratitude expresses faith. Thankful prayer is the antidote to worry, right? That's, that's what we do. So the question is, when you face a hardship, when you face a situation that inclines you to, to sadness or sorrow or anger or anxiety or whatever, the question is, do you meet that with fear and anxiety or do you meet that with prayer? When you have anxiety, is that a trigger to you to just take a pill or does it remind you to go pray? And let me tell you, sometimes you need to take the pill. I believe sometimes, you know, in the first century, Jesus walked around and he touched blind people and they saw. Do you know I believe Jesus heals blind people today? I believe he creates ophthalmologists, right, and optometrists. I believe he creates medicine and he does all kinds of wonderful things. Sometimes you need to take a pill. Sometimes you need to go see a counselor. But in this moment right here where you are, you don't have to wait until your counselor can get in, give you an appointment. Right here in this moment, you can remember. Say it with me. The Lord is near. When you remember that you are in prayer, make your request known to God, right? And so the question with that comes in like, well, why would I do that? You know what Hebrews eleven six says? He says, pray with thanksgiving and faith. Hear what Hebrews eleven six says, uh, without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? So when we thanksgiving, that's pleasing God. Here's why. Because the one who draws near to him must believe two things, that he exists and that he is a rewarder. He rewards you. When you go to Jesus, he rewards you. Don't believe me? Listen to 1 Peter chapter 5. Oh, I wish I'd marked it. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 7 says this. Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Is it up there? Yeah, go ahead and say it. Listen, I'm super ADD today, so I'm going to need your participation. It keeps us moving forward. We're going, right? He cares for you. We pray because he cares for you. We pray because he wants to be involved in every aspect of your day, the good days, the good moments, the bad moments, the good times, the hard times, right? God is good and he cares. So when the bottom seems to be falling out of your life, the Lord is near and he cares for you. So pray. When you're alone, pray. When you're afraid, pray. When you're angry, pray. When you're stressed, pray. And you won't have that moment-by-moment prayer without ceasing until we have that prayer closet kind of prayer, right? So no, we go back to uh, Philippians 4, and we read verse 7, and listen to the fruit of that, right? The peace of God. Well, what's the peace of God like? Well, it transcends all understanding. You know what that means? That's what people don't understand. When they go, how can you have peace right now? Your whole world is falling apart. And you can go, the Lord is near. I'm like, well, what does that mean? It means I have one who's good and one who is powerful at my side and in my life. And it means I can trust him. 
And it means even this sorrow and this grief that I'm feeling right now, he's going to redeem it because he said he was. So yeah, and you can look around and just honestly go, and this all sucks. This is all terrible, and it's hard, and it's hurtful, and it's lonely, and it's afraid, and I feel all of that. But do you know what? Say it. The Lord is near. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. That's all of you in Christ Jesus. Peace will guard your heart, and peace will guard your mind. That's what Jesus told us in John chapter 14. Listen to this. As he was ready to go, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Now, he says, I don't give, to the wor- give as the world gives. You know what the gr- the, how the world gives peace? When everything's going your way, then you have peace. When everything that you want, then you'll have peace. Has that ever happened? Nope. I don't give as the world gives. So don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. Listen, here's my conviction. The Father wants your life to be marked by peace. So much so that when you die someday and they stick you in the box at the front of the church and everybody stands up to say their peace about you, he wants it to be so much so that people will just say the thing that marked his or her life was peace. I never saw them hiding from reality but I never saw them afraid of it. And what we're told in Scripture is the habit that makes that is prayer. So how do you pray, right? Well, the first thing you do is you experience kingdom peace through prayer. Experience it through prayer. So here's what I'm going to do quick. I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 6. You should turn there. And we're going to walk through the Lord's Prayer. Okay? Because Matthew 6, starting in verse 9, it says this, Therefore you should pray like this. The Lord's Prayer is not a mantra that you have to recite over. There's no mat, it's not a talisman. There's no, there's no magic in this, right? But what it does is, and you'll see how this prayer moves our heart into alignment with who He is, how it moves our will into alignment with His, how it moves our, ver- our, our life and our trust and our comes. It moves us into life. This is what you do in the prayer closet. I wake up every morning. And I go for a walk. Do you know why I go for a walk every morning? Because it gets me out of the house. Because I'm not worried about the dog smells. Uh, he's out of food. I can hear my kids wrestling. It gets me out of the house so I can focus on something else. And I just pray the Lord's Prayer. Ever, over and over and over again every day. Doesn't it get boring? I don't know. It's not about that. I don't care. I do lots of boring stuff that, that works. If it works, put gas in my car. That's boring, but I need it. Right? This then is how you should pray. And he says this. Our Father in heaven. This is a picture of intimacy. Do you know why praying to our Father who's in heaven gives us peace? Because sometimes what causes us to be anxious is the thought of being alone. I don't have anybody. I'm lonely. Nobody sees me. Nobody knows me. Nobody cares for me. I especially think about younger generations, kids that are in school, kids that are people that are just kind of trying to get out, trying to find your place in the world, and the world is trying to change, and everything's topsy-turvy and weird and going under control. Listen, here's what I want you to know. If nobody else sees you, the Lord sees you. If everybody else misses you, if there's nobody in the world who can see the beauty that is in you, the Lord sees, and he knows, and he created it. You don't, when it says that our Father who is in heaven, the translation, the hard part about that is we think of heaven as like on the other side of the sky, Right? A lot of translations, this is like it's in the heavens. Like we were talking about heavenly bodies, heavenly beings. Right? It's in the atmosphere. Our Father who is in the air all around you. 
He's close to you. When you breathe, he is near. When you exhale, he is with you. Our God is intimate. You are not alone. And what prayer does is it connects us. That It reminds us. I'm not, I'm not thinking about what my spouse. I'm not thinking about the president. I'm not thinking about the school board. I'm not thinking about my boss. My Father in the heavens, you are with me. You are near and you are intimate. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name be honored as holy. This is a reminder and a call to his holiness. Now the word means set apart. It means unique. It means different. Here's what it means. is It means that God is not like me. He's not like us. I cannot look at you and figure out what God is like. And so what that means is that even if every other person in your life has broken their promise, God is trustworthy. His holiness means that he is approachable by you. Now, does that mean that he's not good? No, it means he is greater than you can ever imagine. We're going to get to heaven in eternity, and we're going to stand before the Father, and we are going to see a moral righteousness that is going to literally make, the Bible calls it, weeping and gnashing of teeth, because we're going to be confronted with the very best that we could muster misses his standard by an infinity. And yet, he came to be with you. Our Father who in heaven, who's in heaven, you are holy. And that brings us peace because we can mean that we can trust him. That means he's not lying to us. He's not stepping out on us. He is not always looking for a better option from us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now he comes to this. Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which is basically two ways of saying the same thing. When we pray your kingdom come, it's the same thing as saying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is a prayer of submission. Do you know what that means? Lord, I want your kingdom in my social media accounts, not mine. That means that if somebody hurts me, you're in your kingdom, your kingdom is a kingdom of forgiveness. So when I pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what it means is that I meet violence with forgiveness. I meet pain, wounds with prayers, with humility, with grace. It's a prayer of submission. Lord, make me like you. Your kingdom, not my kingdom. In my job, in my finances, in my marriage, in my relationship with my kids, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth that is in heaven. Now notice what, notice where we are. We haven't even asked for anything yet. We haven't even said, God, fix my spouse. God, fix my kids, right? Because what we're doing is we're focusing on the God to whom we pray. Because listen, do you know what's going to make your life truly, discernibly, tangibly more peaceful? Not getting all the answers right, but believing and knowing that God is with you and that his kingdom is coming. That is the root of peace. It's the presence of God. So what we do in our prayers, the first thing we begin with is not us, but our Father who is in heaven. And then we pray that thing that we've been looking for, right? Give us today our daily bread. We pray for provision because you know what often causes me anxiety? Scarcity. Listen, I've been walking with the Lord for 20 years. I've seen his faithful hand day after day after day. And yet, in my flesh and in my brokenness and in my weakness, I always feel like I am just about to run out, like the other shoe is just about to drop. And so when my car breaks, oh, God, 
What are we going to do? Oh, we're walking everywhere. Everybody's going to laugh at us. All the time. So when I say, Lord, whatever, you, whatever I need today, you're going to provide it. Whether it's good shoes for me to walk wherever it is that I'm going, or a fix for my car, or a friend to give me a ride, or whatever it is, Lord, here's what I need today. But here's the thing that you can know. Our God who is intimate with us, our God who provides for us, our God who is holy, our God who we submit to, what that means is that we can bring him the things that worry us. We can bring him those things that we think we lack. We can bring in those things that we think we need. Lord, make my spouse just better whatever it is like just fix it lord help my kids to know you lord help me to be sober today lord help me to trust you in this moment lord i need whatever it is and then we pray forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors we pray for grace And it's always important that we begin with, forgive me. We remember that we are radical consumers of grace. We begin with a reminder that every day I need grace. I don't stand before the throne of God without grace. So I go, Lord, forgive me for my sin, for my weakness, for my failure. And you know what happens when you ask for forgiveness? You get forgiven. And so then we go, Lord, forgive me and heap mounds of eternal punishment on those who are not me. Once we realize that we've received grace, it makes, us easier. it makes it easier to give grace. It fixes our perspective, right? And so we have this peace that our failures are forgiven. We have this peace that we're not alone. We have this peace that whatever oppression we're feeling isn't going to ultimately kill us and crush us. Forgive us as we've forgiven our debtors. Verse 13, and do not bring us into temptation. We pray for guidance. Lord, don't let today be a trap. Lord, don't let me get caught up in all those things. Your mind is going to whisper, you've got to gossip. You've got to say it. You've got to be afraid. You need to be afraid right now, Lord. Lead us not in temptation. Guide us away from that, Lord. Protect us. Guide us from that. And the last part, deliver us from the evil when we pray for protection that gives us the peace that we know that god is more powerful than we are every step of the way this prayer that jesus prayed this prayer that jesus taught us to pray forces us pushes us guides us leads us and ushers us into the presence of a god who is good and in control and later manuscripts on the scripture pray this and i always pray with it as well for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever amen lord it's your kingdom not my kingdom It is your power, not my power. It is your glory, not my glory. Today and forever and forever and forever, amen. That brings us peace because we know that God's goodness and his abundance, they reign over our fear and insecurity. When Paul said, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, make your requests known to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He's not talking about positive mental attitude. He's talking about a rugged and rigid habit and discipline of prayer where we begin our day and we saturate our moments with prayer because, listen, you're either believing the news or you're believing the scripture. You're either believing your social media feed or you're believing the scripture. My problem isn't that I do bad things. My problem is that I don't pray enough. That's the reality of of my faith. 
When I begin to pray, I don't have to hide, right? I don't pick up addictions because I know that my God is good and in control. And a lot of stuff just falls away. When I begin to do bad things in self-preservation or protection or whatever, that is the fruit of a disordered soul. And what Jesus did is gave us the power to opt out of that. It is prayer. And let me just tell you this. You're going to be awful at it. And you're going to feel like you're terrible at it. You're not. Show up. Sit down. Protect. Leave your phone outside. That's why I use this, because I don't have the discipline to not, oh, I'll just tweet this thing that the Lord showed me. And then what do I see? I see the Astros made a change and the whole thing. And oh, man, we're done. Now I'm not at peace anymore. <laughs> right? So I leave my phone, I get my paper Bible, and I get my journal, and I do all this because the peace of God which transcends all understanding is what I want. It's what I need in my life. And so here's what I would say. If your life is not bearing the fruit of peace, you need to pray more. You can't muster this up. You can't do this as a force of your will. The only thing that you can do is rejoice in the Lord. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Don't be anxious. Pray with thanksgiving. If we do those things, what the scripture tells us, and here's the thing, it may be wrong. Maybe I will spend my days in prayer and find that it's not true. People that have actually done it, though, they say that it's true. And I haven't done it. I'm not qualified to pass judgment on that. What I do know is even when I do it this much, it works. When I pray, it works. I'm not talking about a toss-up fear prayer. I'm talking about a disciplined routine of beginning my days in the presence of the Lord. Things change. So my prayer for you is that you will know the peace of God which transcends all understanding. And I pray that this church and his church in New Braunfels will be a gathering of people, tens of thousands of people in New Braunfels, bearing the fruit of peace and joy and love because we pray. So Jesus, I ask that you would meet us in prayer. And Lord, we need help. Like, we are quick result. We, we, we need quick. We need quick. So I pray, Father, that you would meet us. As we bow our hearts, I pray that we would find you there in a way that is real and relevant to us. And I pray that you will teach us how to live in that presence. Holy Spirit, it is you that teaches us to prayer. It is you who prays through us. So I pray that we would understand you differently. And I pray that our, our lives will be marked by prayer. When we meet someone at work who's facing a challenge, I pray that we will pray. When we experience fear and anxiety, I pray that we would pray. And so I pray that that spirit prayer space in us will just expand till we find that we are never not praying in you. Holy Spirit, help us. We need you. And we ask these things, Jesus, for your glory and in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. River City Church is all about experiencing and expressing God's love in our lives and community. And we hope that you've been able to experience that today. As grateful as I am that you've spent this time listening in this morning, this podcast is no substitute for full participation in a local church. I love it when River City people listen to other pastors, but it is those who show up week after week, faithfully giving their support and time and resources that make all of this possible. If we can help you get connected to a local church, pray for you, or support you in any way, 
click the link in the description and let us know. If you'd like to financially support the ministry of River City, click the Give link on our website in the description. Don't forget to subscribe and don't forget to share this with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. May the Lord bless and keep you in all grace and peace.